You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. and happy Easter to you. Thank you for joining us in worship. One of the great distinctions of the Christian faith is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul wrote these beautiful words. Now abide these three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so my prayer this morning, Easter 2020, is that we'll experience the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ that results in a living hope. This past week, I was reminded that the most sacred symbol in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, is a tree, a sprawling, shade-bearing, 100-year-old American elm tree. Tourists drive from all across America to see her. People pose for pictures beneath her. Arborists carefully protect her. She adorns posters and letterheads. Other trees may be more majestic, but not one of them is equally cherished. The city treasures the tree because she is a symbol of hope. Why hope? Because this American elm endured the Oklahoma City bombing. Timothy McVeigh, he parked his death-laden truck only yards from her. His malice killed 168 people, wounded 850, destroyed the Alfred Murray Federal Building, and buried this tree in the rubble. No one expected her to survive. No one, in fact, gave thought to the dusty branch strip tree. But then she began to bud Sprouts pressed through the damaged bark. Green leaves pushed away the gray soot. Life resurrected from an acre of death. People noticed the tree modeled the resilience the victims needed. In 1995, Oklahoma City got hope knocked out of them. But today, this beautiful tree is at the heart of the city's memorial, and her story brings living hope to all. I titled this morning's talk, Living Hope, because I believe on this Easter morning, in the midst of this pandemic, a global pandemic, that billions of people all across the world, are going to hear a message of hope because the grave is empty, death has been conquered, and the living Christ brings hope today. Now, go back with me 2,000 years. Have you ever considered the impact of what we call Good Friday on the disciples of Jesus? The Bible makes it very clear that the crucifixion of Jesus literally knocked hope out of his followers. Initially, Peter lost hope, and he denied that he personally knew the Lord three times. The rest of the disciples lost hope, and they scattered. They lived in fear. They were hiding and distraught for their future. 
the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, it records a conversation between two of Jesus' disciples who had hope knocked out of them as they walked seven miles from Jerusalem to a village known as Emmaus. Luke records this, and they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Why discouragement? Luke gives us the answer. In verse 21, one of the disciples, and we have his name, Cleopas, says this, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Friends, think through Good Friday to Easter morning. Hope was knocked out of these guys. Some of them left everything to follow Jesus. That included friends, families, even their careers. And now Jesus is in the grave. My guess is there's not one person viewing this morning that hasn't had at one time or another said the phrase similar to that. But I had hoped we'd seen the last of cancer in our family. But I had hoped that this virus, this pandemic, wouldn't affect me, my family, or my vocation. But I had hoped my son, my daughter, was finally maturing and getting their act together and overcoming their addiction. But I had hoped we'd be able to have a child, another child, a healthy child. But I had hoped when we said those words, till death do us part, that our marriage would go the distance. You see, many of us are like the disciples of Jesus and have lost sight of hope. However, something dramatically changed that Easter morning. And these two men, as they traveled down this road of discouragement and disappointment, they encountered a stranger who didn't reveal himself to them. They started talking with him about the recent events in Jerusalem, the crucifixion, the death, the burial of Jesus. And they shared that we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. They didn't know that the person that was with them was Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. So they invited him in a culture of hospitality into their home to have a meal together and even lodge there for the evening. Jesus obliged. But during the dinner, we read these powerful words, Luke 24, 30. It was when Jesus reclined at the table with them that he took the bread. Sound familiar? He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And notice the next phrase. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And folks, here's the beautiful thing this Easter morning. Those guys had their hope dashed. Jesus shows up risen from the grave. They recognize that he is alive and hope was restored. What a blessing. And I would suggest fast forward 2,000 years later, even in the midst of this pandemic, as hard as it is on so many people, because Jesus Christ is alive, that same hope is available to everyone today. And so if this pandemic has knocked hope out of you, how about letting the resurrected Christ restore a living hope? I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Five chapters filled with hope. 
written to a time that was very difficult for Christians. In the first century, they were being persecuted. And Peter writes to bring them hope in the midst of their hardship. If you do have your digital worship guide, there is a sermon outlined there, and I always like to share a blessing. Because of the reality that Jesus Christ is alive, each one of us can have a living hope. Folks, that's the message of 1 Peter for the first century, and it's a message that transcends culture, time, and place, and it's a message of hope for today. And so, I want to focus on three realities from these few verses in 1 Peter 1. Reality number one, the resurrected Jesus offers hope through a new beginning. And folks, this is one of the great, great concepts in Scripture. It's the concept that God redeems like he did the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He buys back, in this case, through the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So look again at verse 3. Peter writes, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And that concept, new birth, technically in Scripture is called being born again. Now, I know that is used today in our culture as a cliche, but in the first century, it was a beautiful term coined, coined to help us understand what it means to have a fresh start, a new beginning because of the resurrected Christ. And so in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a very religious person. Nicodemus is his name. And he says, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And it kind of confused Nicodemus. And Jesus elaborated, born of the water and born of the spirit of God. And so the picture is real simple and it's beautiful. It's analogous to a physical birth in the spiritual realm. And as a man and woman, woman come together in love and they conceive and, and give birth to a child and we celebrate physical life, what God's spirit does is unite himself with a man or woman's spirit and there is a spiritual birth that takes place. It's called being born again by the spirit. I want to share with you a note, and not from uh, Westwind Church, that was written a few years ago. Pastor, I'm 31 years old and divorced, though I fought the divorce bitterly. I feel badly. I have no hope for my future. Often I go home and cry, but there's no one holding me when I cry. Nobody cares. Nothing changes, and I continue to fail. I'm stressed out emotionally. I feel I'm on the verge of a collapse. Something is very wrong. But I feel so hurt and embittered that I can scarcely react or relate to others anymore. I feel as if I'm going to have to sit out the rest of my life in the penalty box. Now, friends, I've been in vocational pastoral ministry for 35 plus years. And although everybody's story is different, there is a common thread in notes and letters like this that come across our desks frequently. And the common thread is that people lose hope. And so in a broken and fallen world, in the midst of a pandemic, we lose hope. 
But Jesus says, I'm alive. The resurrected Christ shows up and gives hope again like he did to the men on the road to Emmaus. This morning, we had the privilege to uh, baptize numerous people, and what a joy it was. And Mitch Knob, uh, beautiful story. I remember meeting Mitch for the first time two months ago. He came to our church as, as a visitor. He came early, and so we got chatting. And I could see immediately that Mitch had hope knocked out of him. And so he participated in worship. And after the service, Mitch was talking to one of our leaders. And I went up to him and I said, thank you so much for being with us this morning. And I said, Mitch, don't go it alone. We have a, a course that we're launching tonight, the Alpha Course. Please come. We'll have a meal together. There will be hang time. We'll, we'll be talking about Jesus. Please come. Fast forward, Mitch came. And he got connected, reconnected to the body of Christ. Mitch's testimony, he walked away from God 15 years ago, but God never abandoned Mitch. And you know what's beautiful about that, folks? Mitch reminds us because of the resurrected Christ, it's never too late to do what's right, to have a fresh start, to have a new beginning. That is the message of Easter. And so the most important question I can ask and only you can answer this morning is this, have you been born again by God's Spirit? Have you experienced a fresh start and a new beginning? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior? Are you experiencing a living hope regardless of the circumstances that come your way in life? Reality number two, the resurrected Jesus offers hope today for life's challenges. Look again at verse three. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. In this brief letter, the Apostle Peter likes the word living. He uses it six times throughout the epistle. And the verb is in the present tense. It's a hope for today. It's a real-time hope for the ups and downs in life, for the hurts and heartaches, for the problem and pain we all experience. That is exactly the type of hope the two men on the road to Emmaus needed. That is exactly the type of hope Mitch Knob needed two months ago. You know, earlier this week, Forbes magazine reported that half of all Americans are suffering mental health issues during this coronavirus. Think about that, folks. Half of our population is suffering issues of depression, fear, anxiety, loss, hopelessness because of this virus. And so how timely this message of hope that Jesus Christ, regardless of the circumstances, brings a living hope for today, right now. And so I appeal to you, if you're struggling during this pandemic, go to the Savior. Find peace in him. A few weeks ago, we looked at the idea of living fearless. 
and the disciples were fearful because of the storm, but because Jesus was in their midst, he calmed the storm and calmed their fears and brought peace. After he rose from the grave, we have an account at the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus shows up to the greater percentage of his disciples, and he says, my peace I leave with you. That's what the resurrected Christ brings. Peace for today, right now, in the midst of challenges. Reality number three, the resurrected Jesus offers hope for all eternity. And boy, this is beautiful, folks, because we can have hope for today and forever. So again, back to 1 Peter 3 through 5. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. You know, this beautiful concept of inheritance is all throughout Scripture. It started when God chose uh, a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless all people through your seeds. And I'm going to give you an inheritance. It's called the promised land. And think back, folks. That promise was given 4,000 years ago. And the nation of Israel is enjoying their inheritance today. It's real interesting. Peter really wants to drive this point home of permanency. He uses three words in the ancient language to describe the permanence of our inheritance. Look at the verse. He says, it will never perish. It can never spoil, and it will never fade. If you've ever been a beneficiary of someone's will and received an inheritance, you know what an incredible blessing that is. I grew up on welfare. We had very little uh, growing up as, as a kid. But I remember one of my aunts passing away. Uh, I was in her will, and she left me $5,000. And I'll tell you, when you're on welfare, and this is in the 60s, that was a ton of money, and there was such joy. But as a blessing that was, I watched how quickly that money came in and how quickly that money was spent. In other words, it was an inheritance that faded. It passed away. Peter's saying our inheritance is just the opposite. Our inheritance is for eternity. It lasts forever. I believe this. When Peter states that our inheritance can never perish, spoil, or fade, I believe he wants us to understand that our glorious inheritance in heaven is death-proof. Again, going back a few weeks ago, the topic was fear less. And I shared a personal story when, as a teenager, my biological father passed away and fear entered my heart. I wonder what happened to dad. Where did he go? Where would he spend eternity? But then fear entered my heart because I wondered what would happen to me if I died. And as a teenager, I just couldn't address it because I had no answers. But I can honestly say today, when I became a Christian at age 19, Oh, God took care of that fear. You know why? Because of the resurrected Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, one of the great chapters of the resurrection, the apostle Paul says this, and it's powerful. He says, death, where is your victory? 
death, where is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I've discovered that people don't like to talk about death. And if you don't believe me, do this exercise. Have some friends or, or neighbors over, uh, brew some coffee, uh, serve some pie, and say, hey, the topic of conversation tonight is dying. How do you think they'd respond? I think they'd drink and eat and exit. But George Bernard Shaw reminds us, the ultimate statistic is this. One out of every one dies. Therefore, I think it wise to prepare ourselves in this life for the afterlife. How senseless to get caught up only in the here and now and not take time to prepare for eternity. Last week, the topic was living the dash. And we looked at Psalm 90. It was a prayer of Moses. And I want to review that prayer. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Teach us to number our days that they're limited. 70, 80 years, Moses says, as he looks back. <laughs> One of the tools I stumbled across a few years ago to help me apply Psalm 90 verse 12 is what's called the death clock. Now, friends, I'm not trying to be morbid, but we all need tools to help us uh, figure these things out. And so this past week, I went to the website. It's called Death Clock. I typed in my birth, uh, May 24th, 1959. I typed in my height, my BMI, and thankfully, I'm a non-smoker, and the data came out. Let me show you that data on the screen. Here is the average projection. Here is what the death clock says my final day will be. Now, we all know this. That's just the statistic. God has us in the palm of his hands. He is the only one who knows the numbers of hair on our head and when that ultimate final day will come. And so the encouragement today is this. I want to end as we began. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Now abide, Paul says, these three things. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. My prayer this Easter for all of us is this, that we would experience the love of God through faith in Jesus, and that would result in a living hope. Now, some might be asking, what does it mean to have genuine faith in Jesus? And that's how I want to close this morning. I want to use faith as an acrostic to help you understand what it means to have genuine faith. F stands for forgiveness. And forgiveness is a beautiful concept. Good Friday, on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In Ephesians 1, we read this, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. A stands for available. What that means is God offers forgiveness to all. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know what I like to do, folks? I like to put my name in there. For God so loved Keith Nessel that he gave his one and only son. Put your name there. Experience is love. F, forgiveness. A, available. I stands for impossible. What's impossible? It's impossible for us to save ourselves. 
You know, the scriptures are very clear that uh, we like to work. We like to, to put an effort into earning God's favor. But the Bible's narrative is it has to be just the opposite. We don't reach up to God. God reaches down to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says that we're not saved by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us. F, forgiveness, available to all. It's impossible for us to save ourselves. T stands for turn. And we need to turn from something to someone. The concept in scripture is called repentance. And so what do we turn from? We turn from our sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We turn from self. We turn from our way, and we turn to Christ. We put our faith and trust in him. Peter preaches his first sermon in uh, the book of Acts. A lot of people responded. And then Peter says, here's two things to do. Repent, turn from your sin, and turn to the Savior and then be baptized, which is a sign of true repentance and faith. I like to liken it, if you've ever been uh, driving on a one-way street going the wrong way, what do you do? You turn around as quickly and go the other way. That's repentance. That's what it means to turn. Turning from sin to the Savior. F, forgiveness, available to all, impossible to save yourself. Turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, and then finally, resulting in heaven. And I like to look at heaven in the here and the hereafter. Because Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. God's not a cosmic killjoy, folks. He wants to give us abundant life through his son, living hope for today. But it's also the hereafter. John three sixteen: whoever believes has everlasting life. And so maybe this Easter, you are uh, experiencing the resurrected Christ and the message of hope for the first time. And maybe you feel hopeless because of this pandemic or other issues of life. Maybe today you want to express genuine faith. Put your faith and hope in Jesus. I did this beautiful thing when I was 19 years old. I prayed a prayer of faith to God the Father. He knew my heart already. And I wanted to put my faith and trust in Christ. And if that's your desire this morning, you want to say yes to Christ. Receive forgiveness, which is available to all, impossible for you to do on your own. Turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. Receive eternal life. I invite you to pray this prayer in your heart to the Father. Pray with me, please. Dear Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus and offering living hope. And Father, today I confess that I'm a sinner And yes, I want to turn from my sin and turn to the Savior. I thank you for your love, that you loved me to send your son. And Father, I thank you for the hope that you give for here, the abundant life, and for the hereafter eternal life. And so today, Father, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I make him my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.